Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name's Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. While there was an election going on, and two candidates were contending for an important political seat, it was a tight race, these candidates were neck and neck in the polls, and they could not be more opposite, they could not be more different, they had totally opposing viewpoints. Well, these two candidates were engaging in a televised debate, uh, there were people in the audience, there were people watching at home, and during the debate, the one candidate began by saying this, values are important to me. And the other candidate said, well, values are important to me too. And the first candidate said, no, values are important to me because they're shaped by my faith. I am a Christian, I am a follower of Jesus, and my faith defines my values. And the second candidate said, well, hold on a minute. My faith defines my values. I'm also a Christian, I'm also a follower of Jesus Christ. And then the first candidate said, you are I mean, come on, you don't even go to church. I bet you don't even pray. And the second candidate said, how dare you say that? That is very offensive. I pray all the time. I prayed just a moment ago before I came up here. And then the first candidate said, I bet you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. Of course I know the Lord's Prayer, he said. I say the Lord's Prayer all the time. My mom taught it to me when I was a kid growing up. I say it every evening before bed. And then the first candidate said, I bet you 20 bucks, 20 bucks that you can't say the Lord's Prayer right now here in the spot. And the second candidate said, I'll take you up on that bet. And the first candidate said, okay, go ahead. And then the second candidate said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And the first candidate said, my goodness, you were right. You do know the Lord's Prayer. Here's $20. You didn't see that one coming, did you? I had to find some way to top the bear story from last week. Not as good as the bear story, in my opinion, but still pretty good. Well, for the record, just so we're all clear, that's not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is up here in the monitor. I know we said this a moment ago, but I would encourage us to say it again. And if you're worshiping at home right now, uh, please join us as we say these words aloud together. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, we are in a sermon series right now uh, that we started last week. Uh, the name of the series is Pray Like This. Uh, that title is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 9, in which Jesus, as Jesus is giving to us the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon that he ever delivered, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, as a reminder, it begins in Matthew 5, goes all the way to Matthew 7. Well, in the midst of that sermon, in chapter 6, Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, 
and he sets up the Lord's Prayer. He introduces the Lord's Prayer by saying to the crowd, pray like this. As we mentioned last time, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that a lot of us, perhaps all of us, have committed to memory. Some of us committed this prayer to memory as children. Some of us committed this prayer to memory as adults. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is also a part of our worship services here at the church. Uh, we say the Lord's Prayer pretty often here. But sometimes, maybe most of the time, because we're so familiar with this prayer, as we're praying it, our brain goes on autopilot, doesn't it? We check out, and we don't fully pay attention to what we're actually saying. And perhaps, quite honestly, we don't necessarily fully understand or fully comprehend what we're saying. We know that the Lord's Prayer is an important prayer. We know that the Lord's Prayer is a remarkable prayer that was given to us by Jesus, but beyond that, our knowledge of the Lord's Prayer is lacking. And so what we're doing in the sermon series is by the grace of God, we are putting the Lord's Prayer under a microscope, so to speak. We are breaking it down. We are examining it. We are looking carefully at all the words, the phrases, the petitions that we find therein. And our hope is that God will use this sermon series to help all of us experience in the depth of who we are the power of the Lord's Prayer. Make no mistake about it, folks, this is a powerful prayer that can strengthen our faith and deepen our connection with the very one who made us. I'll never forget, in one of the churches I served as a pastor, uh, this was before I, be I uh, became a part of Asbury, I was preaching one time on the Lord's Prayer, and when the service was over, this woman came up to me, and she said, Chris, I have something I want to share with you. And I said, okay, and so we went to a private place, and I said, what's on your heart? And she said to me, some years ago, I was going through a really difficult season in terms of my own relationship with God. You see, I had a very good friend, she said, whose child died of SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. And I was heartbroken, I was devastated, I was mad, I was angry, I was confused, I was upset. I tried my very best to pray, but every time I would try, words wouldn't come out. I, I didn't know what to say. All I could do, she said to me, was pray the Lord's Prayer, because I had memorized it. And so I would be in the car, and I would be driving to work, and I would be crying, and I would be praying this prayer. And somehow, she said, the Lord's Prayer got me through that really tough season. And in a real sense, the Lord's Prayer saved my faith. It restored my relationship with God. This is a powerful prayer. And so I do hope that all of us will come to experience its power, uh, both today and in the future. And so as we kicked off this sermon series last week, uh, we began by looking at the opening line of the Lord's Prayer. Let's say this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, we talked about the significance of this line, the importance of this line, the meaning behind this line. Now we come in this sermon, the second sermon for the series, the six-week series, to the very next line. Let's say this together. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Father Daniel Harrington who was a Catholic priest and a New Testament scholar. Um, he passed away uh, back in 2014. Well, Daniel Harrington once said that this one line is the central concern of the entire Lord's Prayer. In other words, he says the entire Lord's Prayer 
is built around these words, thy kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if that's the case, if he's correct, then it's worth understanding and comprehending what these words are all about. And so in looking carefully um, at these words, uh, we begin with the very first one. Thy. Thy. That's the word that we say before we say anything else. Thy. Um, last week we talked about the importance of the word our, O-U-R, in saying our Father. Well, the word thy in thy kingdom is important too. And of course, as we all know, thy is an old English word that means your, your kingdom. And so notice, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we don't pray for God to send my kingdom. We don't pray for God to send our kingdom. We pray for God to send God's kingdom. This request cuts against the basic impulse of our hearts. The basic impulse of our hearts, because of sin and brokenness, is not to advance anybody's kingdom except whose? Our own. Well, the basic impulse, though, is not to advance anybody's kingdom except for God's, or except for our own. Um, last week, I mentioned how Hannah and Noah are twins. Uh, they're five years old today, and so we're going to be celebrating their birthday uh, this afternoon. Um, well, I talked about last week how when Hannah and Noah were first learning how to talk, this was a few years ago, they quickly mastered the word mine, M-I-N-E, mine, and they began to use that word, incorporate that word into their vocabulary. Uh, they're still using that word in their vocabulary. But then as I was working on this message, I was reminded, um, the old saying goes, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, because I can think of times in my own life where I've embraced that word mine. Um, I was seven years old when my family first started to attend church on a regular basis. I was baptized when I was a baby, but we didn't go to church very often until I was about seven. And so we would go to service on Sunday morning, and my siblings and I we would go to Sunday school. Well, then as my family became more involved in the church, we also began to attend the Wednesday night programming. Uh, we would have dinner in the fellowship hall, and then once dinner was over, uh, the adults and the kids, they would go to their separate programs. Uh, my siblings and I, my brother, sister, and I, uh, we would go to children's choir. Even though I wasn't much of a singer, I would go to children's choir. And then my mom, uh, she would go to her small group. They called them Wesley Fellowship Groups at that time. Well, to make things easy on the parents, so the parents didn't have to worry about taking their kids from the fellowship hall where dinner was, all the way upstairs to the choir room. That was a pretty good trek. To make things easy on the parents, what the choir director would do, once dinner was over, she would have all the kids lined up along the wall of the fellowship hall, and then she and her helpers would lead us upstairs. And to make things fun for us kids, engaging, interactive, every week a different child got a turn being the line leader. Anybody remember being the line leader? When you were a kid, do you see where this story is going? That was a pretty big deal. And so I had the date on my calendar. I knew exactly when it was my turn to be the line leader. And I said to my mom, we can't miss Wednesday night dinner. We, we can't miss the programming. We got to make sure that we're there. And so we showed up, and I could barely sit through dinner. Oh, my goodness, I was so excited. I thought to myself, man, it's my, it's my big moment. It's coming up. We were lined up along the wall of the fellowship hall. And then somebody asked the question, Whose turn is it to be the line leader? And then another person said, it's Chris's turn. And I thought, yeah, that's right. 
Chris's turn. Here it comes. I'm going to be the person that all my peers are going to look to. Only there were two Chris's in the group. <laughs> I appreciate the sympathy. There were two Chris's. There was Chris Sale, and then there was Chris Jones. Chris Sale was a friend of mine, not after this happened, but he had been a friend of mine. <laughs> and so the person assumed that they were referencing Chris Sale, even though Chris Sale had already been the line leader a few weeks before that. And in my opinion, he had done an awful job. <laughs> I was going to do a much better job. Now, perhaps you want to know that the whole matter was cleared up, and I did get the chance to be the line leader that night. <laughs> but I still remember those feelings of devastation just washing over me all these years later. And I'm sure that all of us, if we're being honest, we could think of stories like that from our own lives, can't we? Because of our shared brokenness, we develop this tendency to want to make the universe revolve around us. Our wishes, our wants, our desires, which is why the word thy in the Lord's Prayer is so important. In fact, I would encourage all of us, whenever we pray this prayer, emphasize the word thy, thy kingdom. Not my kingdom, not anybody else's kingdom, God's kingdom. Which leads us to word number two, kingdom kingdom. Now, initially, this word kingdom sounds funny to us as Americans, doesn't it? I mean, let's be real. As Americans, we don't think in terms of kings and kingdoms. Our nation was founded in 1776 to get away from kings. We don't want a king. We want to elect our leaders. We want to choose our leaders. But then we come to the Lord's Prayer and we're reminded that God is king, not because any of us chose for God to be king, it's not as if we had an election and we elected God to be king. God is not king because any of us chose for God to be king. God is king because of who God is. God is king regardless of how we think or feel. And because God is king, because God is the monarch, it follows that God has a kingdom. In Scripture, uh, this concept is called what? It's called the kingdom of God. Or sometimes it's called the kingdom of heaven. For example, in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke, it's uh, called the kingdom of God. But then in the Gospel of Matthew, it's called the kingdom of heaven, uh, talking about the same concept. The kingdom of God slash the kingdom of heaven was the central theme, the predominant theme of Jesus' preaching ministry. You'll notice this when you read the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially. Uh, it's not so much in the Gospel of John. In fact, I don't believe it's in the Gospel of John, but certainly in the first three Gospels, uh, that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God a whole lot. The kingdom of God refers to the reign of God, the dominion of God. And as theologians remind us, drawing from the Bible, there are two dimensions to God's kingdom. How many dimensions? Two dimensions to God's kingdom. First, there's the already, that's the present dimension. And then number two, there is the not yet, that's the future dimension. The already and the not yet. Let me talk about the second one first the not yet. The not yet dimension is the dimension that we will come to experience in the future. The not yet dimension is the dimension that we haven't yet experienced. We won't experience it until Jesus Christ returns to earth. When Jesus Christ returns to earth, and we do have faith, we have confidence that he's going to return because he promised that he would return. Well, when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to bring the kingdom of God to full completion, full fruition, which means, and this is important, no more sin. 
No more brokenness, no more chaos, no more confusion, no more shootings, no more cancer, no more racism, no more sexism, no more classism, no more brokenness. All these things will be wiped away when Christ is all and in all. All these things will be gone. Uh, this world will finally be as God intended for it to be at the beginning part of creation when God said, let there be light, and there was light. Uh, this is how John of Patmos, the author of Revelation, Revelation is the very last book of the Bible, this is how John of Patmos describes God's future reign. Uh, this is from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. He says, then I, uh, the writer here, John, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. Now let me say a word about that line, the sea being gone. What we have to remember in Revelation, Revelation is uh, what's called apocalyptic literature, and so the words shouldn't necessarily be taken literally. A lot of it is very figurative, poetic. So when John says that the sea was gone, he's not talking literally, because remember, God made the sea. The sea was a part of God's good creation. And when Jesus returns, creation is going to be restored. It's not going to be destroyed. When John says the sea was gone, what he means is, in the ancient world, the sea was a place of chaos. It was scary to be at sea. Remember how scared the disciples were in the Sea of Galilee when the storm came? Uh, they were just terrified that they were going to die? When John says that the sea was gone, what he means is chaos is not going to be here anymore. Uh, the sea was also gone, verse 2, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout. When the, when the return of Jesus happens, it's going to be very obvious to us. Uh, there was a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone temporarily, right? That's what it says? No. All these things are gone for a long time. That's not what it says. All these things are gone for how long? Forever. Thanks be to God. This is what the kingdom of God is going to look like when Jesus returns, when Jesus brings the kingdom to completion. But listen, folks, we don't have to wait for Jesus to return to experience God's kingdom. Even right now in this moment, as I'm preaching this sermon, the kingdom of God is breaking in all around us. This is what Jesus said at one point in the Gospels. This is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. We're going to say more about this in a moment. It can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. The kingdom of God is already among you. That's the other dimension to God's kingdom. We talked about the not yet dimension, the future dimension, but then there's the already dimension, the present dimension. Jesus tells us that through his coming into the world, his first coming into the world, there's gonna, his second coming is going to happen, but through his first coming into the world, the kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of God is here, and the kingdom of God is breaking in all around us. But notice something else. 
that Jesus says in this passage. This is uh, verse 20. We just read it, but let's read it once more. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. Huh? What does that mean? What Jesus means, if we don't want to see the kingdom of God, we won't see the kingdom of God. Just like if we don't want to see God's existence, even though God's existence is very apparent to those of us who are followers of God, if we don't want to see God's existence, we won't see it. If we don't want to see the kingdom of God, we won't see it. That's why the religious leaders couldn't see it. They were too stubborn to see it. Their heart was not in the right place. The only way to detect the kingdom of God is through the eyes and the ears of faith. How did Jesus put it? Those with eyes to see, let them. Those with ears to hear, let them. We need the proper eyes and ears to detect God's kingdom. When we have these eyes and ears, we'll see the kingdom of God all around. For example, when two people are reconciled, when two people who are on opposite sides of the fence come together and they develop a friendship, that's the kingdom of God. When forgiveness is extended, that's the kingdom of God. When a hungry person is fed, when a naked person is clothed, when a thirsty person is given a drink, that's the kingdom of God. When justice is achieved, that's the kingdom of God. When people look beyond themselves, that's the kingdom of God. When somebody comes to recognize their worth and their value as a human being, that's the kingdom of God. Folks, when we slow down, it's a struggle for me. I'm sure it's a struggle for you too. But when we slow down and we pay attention, we'll see signs of the kingdom all over the place. Sometimes, even when we're watching the news, for example, take a look at this clip that was aired a few years back to see the kingdom of God in action. Tonight in 12 Inspires, we've got your back. That's what some upperclassmen at Reedsville Senior High School are telling a freshman who was all alone at lunch on his very first day of school. Our Steve King introduces us to Caleb Wren and his new friends who are brightening up his whole school year. I got like 23 followers on Twitter. Just 14-year-old freshman Caleb Wren had a tough first day at Reedsville Senior High School this week. At lunch, I had sat alone and it was actually getting called like short and stuff. So he told his big sister, who shared their text exchange on Twitter, including where Caleb says, they think I'm a loser because I'm short. I can get you a thousand followers. That's all football and basketball player DeMontez Canada, his friend Tyvon Smoot, as well as other upperclassmen at the school had to see. We decided to catch him off guard at lunch and have lunch with him and show him around the school and make sure that he was okay and get him new friends. Caleb said he was surprised to get to lunch on Tuesday to see that he had a new group of friends waiting for him. They all got to know each other, had a great time, and now they're all buddies. That was sour. It felt really nice to know that there are people who care. I've always been kind of used to being the loner, the outsider, the little outcast, but it feels good to have friends. It does feel good to have friends, amen? Those with eyes to see, let them see. Those with ears to hear, let them hear. I was always used to being the loner, the outsider, but it feels good to have friends. A lonely boy finds community at a high school. That's the kingdom of God. And by the way, what those upperclassmen did 
That's what all of us are called to do as followers of Jesus Christ. By grace, by God's grace, we are called to live into the kingdom. Not bring the kingdom, because Jesus has already brought the kingdom, uh, but we are called to live into the kingdom by doing kingdom things, like befriending people. And when we do these kingdom things, we'll be obeying the second part of this petition about the will of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What is God's will? What does God want? Well, God wants the kingdom to come, to triumph over the darkness, which means for you and me as followers of Jesus, laying aside our kingdoms and advancing God's kingdom. This is not easy for us to do. This is not simple for us to do. It cuts against the basic impulse of our hearts that we talked about earlier. The basic impulse of our hearts is to advance our kingdom instead, to do our thing instead. We see this truth play out in one of the opening stories of the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Remember? And by the way, as theologians remind us, Adam and Eve, they're not just two people who lived long ago. Adam and Eve, more so, they're archetypal humans, which means they represent all of us. I'm Adam and Eve. You're Adam and Eve. Their story is our story. It's the story of all human beings. God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He gave them a boundary. He said, don't eat from the tree uh, of the knowledge of good and evil, yet that became the very tree that they chose to eat from. They did their own thing. They resisted God's will. But then through Jesus, who, as the Apostle Paul said, is the second Adam, we see a new way of living presented to us. Jesus also was in a garden. He was struggling with going to the cross. But then he fell down, and what did he say? Not my will. Your will be done. Thy will be done. I like how one person put it. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve reached up and said, My will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus fell down and prayed, Thy will. Thy will. Following in the footsteps of Jesus, our mission is to do God's will so the kingdom of God might be advanced. God's will, for example, is that nobody be left out, that people be included. So that means, like those upperclassmen did, laying aside our own reputations, putting our own reputation on the line so that somebody who has no friends might have friends and somebody to sit with. Or God's will in the aftermath of a tragedy like a hurricane, and we had two hurricanes that came to our state last year. Um, God's will is that those who have lost everything might begin the process of rebuilding their communities and their lives. And so that means for us, giving up some of our own resources for their empowerment, which we did last month with March of the Manger. Not my will, your will, God. Um, on Monday, we celebrated the life and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who embodied this well. Listen to what Dr. King says here. The end of life is not to be happy. Can we just sit with that comment for a moment? The end of life is not to be happy? The end of life is not to achieve pleasure and avoid pain. Rather, the end of life, the purpose of life, the aim of life is to do the will of God. Come what may. That's what it's all about. Doing God's will. When we do the will of God, we live into the kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then that brings us to the very last part, on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, even as the kingdom exists in heaven, even as God's will is perfectly followed in heaven, that's how it's supposed to be here on earth. 
that on earth we are to imitate what's happening in heaven. Now, obviously, this prayer will not be fully answered until Jesus Christ returns. But even right now, as we do these kingdom things, as we obey God's will on this planet, we'll be giving people a sense of what's to come. I've used this analogy in the past, but the way I like to think about this, uh, when I was a kid, my mom uh, was a great cook. And so, so sometimes she'd be in the kitchen and she would be making some treat like brownies or cookies. And so she'd have the ingredients, she'd have the, the flour and the sugar and the chocolate and the nuts and the eggs. Eggs were a lot cheaper back then. But she'd have all those ingredients and she'd put them in the mixing bowl and then she'd turn on the egg beater and stir the ingredients around. And then she would give me the egg beater to lick. That egg beater gave me a sense of what was on the way. By grace, let's give people a sense of what's on the way when Jesus returns, when Christ is all in and all. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this remarkable prayer this incredibly powerful prayer. Help us to live into these words that we talked about. Help us to live into your kingdom that is already here to anticipate and give a sense of what's to come. May we live as your people on this planet. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.